3: happy saturday everybody uh not long ago we talked about murasaki shikibu and in passing we mentioned japan's edo period and the work of katsushika hokusai That episode came out way back in 2015, so it seemed like a good time to share it again, especially since it also connects to our fairly recent episode on the mysteries of the color blue.
1: And we kick off this episode with a talk about a trip to the Boston Museum of Fine Arts to see the contents of a time capsule that were temporarily on display there, as well as an exhibition on Hokusai that was running at the time. Of course, that visit, which Tracy made to the MFA, was also back in 2015. Those things are no longer on display. Please don't go and ask to see them. They will look at you confusedly. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's plenty of other stuff to see at the MFA should you want to go, but not those particular things. Anyway, enjoy.
1: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio's
3: How Stuff Works. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. So that time I went to the Museum of Fine Art Boston and saw that time capsule that had been pulled out from the cornerstone of the old state house. I had three things on my to-do list on that trip. There was that time capsule. There was Gustav Klimt's Adam and Eve, which was on loan from a museum in Vienna. And there was a huge exhibition of artwork by the Japanese artist best known as Katsushika Hokusai. And in addition to that to-do list, I wound up also seeing lots of Leonardo da Vinci sketches and some World War I propaganda posters and a whole series of photos inspired by the earthquake and tsunami that struck Japan in 2011. So just to give you a sense of how many amazing things there are at the Museum of Fine Art in Boston. Uh, If you've never heard of Hokusai, you will probably still recognize his most famous work, which is under the wave off Kanagawa, which is better known as the Great Wave. This is the one that shows three little boats in the shadow of an an enormous, menacing, frothing wave with Mount Fuji shown in the background. Hokusai lived during a time when there was not a lot of contact between Japan and the West, but even so, he drew some influence from Western art, and then Western art was later greatly influenced by his own work and from others from the time period when he lived. His career was also extremely long and diverse, and his work was just prolific. This collection of work at the MFA in Boston is huge, and the temporary exhibition of it is so big that we actually had to take a break from looking at it and go eat and come back. (laughs) Because it's enormous. Uh, The MFA actually describes its collection of Japanese art as the largest and finest outside of Japan. So Hokusai is who we are going to talk about today.
1: Hokusai was born in Edo, which is now Tokyo, in 1760, and he lived during Japan's Edo period. Also called the Tokugawa period, the Edo period lasted for about 250 years, starting in the early 1600s. Hokusai's work grew directly from a number of social changes that took place in Japan during this period.
3: The period before the Tokugawa came to power was known as the Sengoku period, And it was also nicknamed the Warring States Period because it was marked with war, unrest, and strife. The Tokugawa took several steps to try to secure their power and prevent a return to the state of perpetual conflict once they were in power.
1: The first was that the Tokugawa shoguns banned Christianity and expelled all Europeans from Japan except for the Dutch. And the Dutch were exempt because they hadn't tried to convert the Japanese. But even Dutch contact with Japan was limited, as was Japan's contact with its nearer neighbors of China and Korea.
3: The second was that the Tokugawa required the feudal lords, who were known as the daimyo, who ruled Japan's provinces in their stead to maintain two residences. One was in Edo, and the other was back in their home province. The daimyo were expected to travel back and forth between these residences, while their families stayed in Edo full-time.
1: The residences of the daimyo were expected to be lavish and opulent. And when they traveled back and forth between their home provinces and Edo, they were expected to do so at great luxury and with a large retinue of mostly unmarried samurai.
3: There was an ulterior motive to all this the Tokugawa and Edo always had an eye on the daimyo's families, which basically functioned as a tacit threat to their safety to keep the daimyo in line. And in addition to all of that, uh, they had to spend so much money on these multiple residences and the travel back and forth that the daimyo could never afford to raise an army to challenge the Tokugawa's power. So it was sort of a way to keep everybody in line. And as a side note, this
1: plan was not entirely successful. In 1651, a group of Ronin, or masterless samurai, tried to orchestrate a coup against the Tokugawa. Even though the daimyo were employing quite a lot of samurai, there were many others who were effectively out of work once the Warring States period was over.
3: However, these requirements that were placed on the daimyo affected life for other people in Japan as well. Number one, people were traveling a lot. Even though Japan wasn't having much contact with the rest of the world, travel within its own borders really became its own industry.
1: Five major highways connected Edo to the rest of Japan, and these were lined with places to rest, eat, arrange transportation, buy things, and make religious observances. The most famous of these was the Tokaido Road, also called the Eastern Sea Road, and this connected Edo to Kyoto before going on to Osaka. And although the daimyo traveled these roads at great expense, ordinary people were also using them.
3: Society under the Tokugawa became divided into four classes. There were warriors, farmers, artisans, and merchants. And even though the merchants were technically at the bottom of the pile, since they just sold the work of other people rather than creating work of their own, a lot of the merchants became quite rich. Japan became home to a thriving middle class thanks to all of these different industries and the increased commerce that was coming with people traveling everywhere and maintaining multiple residences.
1: In Edo, visiting daimyo and their large retinues of samurai tipped the gender balance within the city, spawning another industry, one of pleasure and entertainment to cater to their interests. This whole world of fashion, luxury, and amusement became known as the floating world, or ukiyo. The newly wealthy merchants and artisans had access to the floating world as well.
3: It also spawned a whole school of art called ukiyo-e, or Pictures of a Floating World. And these were basically pictures, paintings, and woodblock prints of things like pleasure districts, courtesans, geisha, tea houses, kabuki actors, that sort of thing. And they were hugely popular among the growing middle class it was in this school of art that Hokusai trained as an artist, and we're going to talk about how that training came about after a brief word from a sponsor.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Looking to part ways with complicated,
3: expensive, and uncertain shipping? So to return to Hokusai specifically, we know a lot more about his professional life than about his personal life. There's a fair amount of contradiction when it comes to the details of his biography, thanks to its age and the fact that a lot of knowledge of it that survives today is kind of gleaned from a wide range of sources, like introductions he wrote to his own books and notes from other artists that were compiled well after his death.
1: He was born... Kawamura Tokitaro, he had an uncle named Nakajima Issei, who was a mirror polisher. This was actually a prestigious position because mirrors at the time were mainly made from bronze rather than silvered glass. Mirror polishing required a special and exact set of skills and Hokusai's uncle had no heir to train to take over this position. So Hokusai's uncle adopted him. And later on, reflections, refractions, lenses, and optical effects would become a huge part of Hokusai's work.
3: Hokusai started writing and drawing at the age of six, and these are two skills that are really connected quite closely in Japanese culture, thanks to the use of kanji in written language. Later on, Hokusai would also say that anyone who could write could also draw, and he would create these paintings that were basically built up from a series of written words.
1: It's unclear whether Hokusai just didn't want to be a mirror polisher uh, or whether he didn't get along with his uncle or whether he correctly concluded that bronze mirrors were going to go out of fashion. But regardless, as a teen, he did not pursue his uncle's line of work. He worked instead for a publisher and a lending library, and he worked as a block carver
3: making blocks for woodblock prints. Even though he demonstrated a talent for art at a very young age, and his uncle's position meant he could get access to the shogun's official painters, Hokusai's formal education in art didn't actually start until he was 19. He joined the studio of Katsukawa Sensho, a Yukioe e artist, in 1779. Katsukawa Sensho's specialty was woodblock prints of kabuki actors. While working in Katsukawa's studio, Hokusai signed his prince Shunro, which is a combination of a character from his teacher's name plus an additional character. And this was traditionally how art students would sign their work, with like a character from their teacher's name plus another character of their own choosing.
1: Hokusai worked with the Katsukawa school until 1794, and these years are known as Hokusai's Shunro period. During this period, he also illustrated about 50 books, and he made woodblock prints of a lot of subjects that were common in the ukiyo-e school. Although little of his painting work survives from this period, it's clear that he studied painting at the Katsukawa school as well. Hokusai also started experimenting with Western-style vanishing-point perspectives in his work during this time, and that's a theme that would resurface later on.
3: Sonsho died in 1792, and two years later, for reasons that aren't completely clear, Hokusai left the school and stopped using the name Shunro. He found another position, though. The Tawaraya family hired him to train their son, whose father, an artist, had died. Hokusai was allowed to use the name Sori, which was the name of the deceased father, until his son was ready to assume his role as heir and leader of the family's school. The Tawaraya family
1: apparently had quite a bit of wealth and status, so while he was with them, Hokusai had access to the best paints, inks, and other art materials. And for about four years, he produced a large number of privately commissioned prints, known as Surimono,
3: as well as a number of paintings. Working with privately commissioned prints gave Hokusai some artistic freedoms he didn't have before. Uh, He didn't need to worry about sticking with less expensive printing inks because the print runs themselves were much smaller and everything was being paid for by his patrons. A lot of these works were commissioned by poetry clubs as accompaniment for playful works of poetry. Because
1: of this work in private commissions, Hokusai developed friendships with many prominent poets and other well-known figures. And he seems to have been quite financially prosperous during his Sori period as well.
3: It was in the spring of 1798 when the Taurariya heir assumed control of the family school that Hokusai gave up on the Sori name and began working under the name Hokusai Tokimasa. He would continue to change his name from time to time after this point, which is a pretty common practice among artists in the Edo period. But the name Hokusai is the one that he really became recognized for. He became so well known under that name that even as he used other names, he would often add, Saki no Hokusai, or the former Hokusai, to his works. It's like the artist formerly known
1: as Prince. (laughs) Um, After leaving the Tawaraya family, he also experimented with a lot of forms of art, besides the standard prints, paintings, and book illustrations that had made up a large portion of his work before. He made a board game depicting a journey from Edo to several pilgrimage sites and back again. He also created puzzles and a deck of playing cards based on the tale of Genji. He produced books of his own, including manuals on how to draw, and he published sketchbooks known as manga.
3: He also made lots and lots of dioramas. These were intricate illustrations that were printed on one flat sheet, or maybe two, if you really needed a lot of them. And they were meant to be carefully cut out and then assembled with the cut pieces standing up vertically, which would create a three-dimensional scene. Many of these were extremely complex and detailed. One of the prints in the MFA's exhibition is one of these uncut. And working from a copy of it, curators tried to create an assembled version to kind of accompany it. So you could see the flat one as it was printed and the assembled one. It took them multiple tries to get it to do.
1: We mentioned before that we don't know a great deal about Hokusai's personal life. But what we do know is that he experienced a series of tragedies starting around 1820. His oldest daughter had married one of his students, and they divorced. In 1826, Hokusai became very, very ill, and a year later, his wife died. His grandson, son of the daughter who had divorced, did something. The details of what exactly it was are unclear, but whatever it was led Hokusai into some really huge financial problems.
3: His third daughter, on the other hand, was named Katsushika Oi. And she became a wonderful artist on her own. And it's possible that she helped her father with some of his work. I actually originally wanted to do the episode on her because she seems to have been quite a character uh, who loved Sake quite a lot. And she would sometimes substitute one of the characters in her name for one meaning drunk instead when she signed her artwork. (laughs) But unfortunately, yeah, we know even less about her and have way less of a body of work to draw from to talk about uh, Katsushika Oi than we do about her father.
1: And it's possible that all these tragedies and the lack of money that followed were what spurred Hokusai into making his most famous work of art, 36 Views of Mount Fuji. As its name suggests, there are 36 prints, each featuring Mount Fuji in some way, and The Great Wave is one of those.
3: This series fit in well with a trend that was rushing through Japan at that point, which was sets of full sized landscape prints that worked together as a series. Another of these series that you may have heard of is Hiroshige's 53 Stations of the Tokaido Road. Hokusai himself also did a series on the stations of the Tokaido Road, but uh, Hiroshige's became more famous than than Hokusai's did.
1: 36 Views of Mount Fuji was also inspired by Prussian blue ink, which was newly available in Japan and known as Berlin blue there. Uh, It led to a huge demand for artwork that used the color blue. And while the public clamored for azurier or prints done entirely in shades of blue, Hokusai started using the blue paint for the outlines on his landscapes, which had traditionally been black. And
3: he also used them for prints of birds and flowers. Hokusai also used lots of blue in his work in general during this craze for blue. And some of the prints in the 36 Views of Mount Fuji in their first edition printing are almost entirely blue. Uh, As people became less enamored with the color blue, The same blocks would then be used to print new editions of these works, but with more colors in them, so they weren't quite so overwhelmingly blue.
1: After the success of the 36 Views of Mount Fuji, Hokusai created just an enormous number of landscape prints. But around 1834 or 1835, he ran into some trouble with his publisher, And the details, as is often the case with his story, are unclear, although it seems as though a publisher that he'd been working with on several multi-volume books of prints suddenly went bankrupt, and consequently, later books that were supposed to come out went unpublished.
3: With this problem with his publisher, Hokusai's commercial output really dropped tremendously. Japan was also hit with an enormous economic depression from 1833 to 1837, and that dried up demand for Hokusai's work. And his studio and its contents were destroyed in a fire in 1839. In spite of all this and of the changes
1: in the market for artwork, Hokusai continued to be tremendously creative right through the end of his life. He experimented with paintings and festival floats, and he designed a sculpture... He died in 1849 at the age of 90 by the Japanese method of counting and 89 by the Western method. Uh, He said he'd be a truly
3: skilled painter if he lived to be 100. And at that point, he had put out just an enormous body of work, uh, a lot of it just extremely playful. He experimented with new ways of approaching artwork. He, uh, made all of these creative strides, but he was like, yeah, if I could just live to be a 100, then I'd be a really skilled painter. Just 10 more years would get me there. (laughs) (laughs) So he he drew and painted so many things. But so much of his work was in the uh, form of woodblock prints. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how these prints were made and also about how Hokusai later influenced Western art after another brief word from a sponsor. Often when we talk about visual artists on the show, we're talking about people who made each piece of art as one thing. So painters and sculptors and potters and textile artists, they make a work of art. And while you can see pictures of that work of art or maybe make prints of it, there's only one original. Like you go to a museum and you see the Mona Lisa. There's one of it.
1: That's not the case for one of Hokusai's primary media, the woodblock print. Hokusai's woodblock prints include all the typical subjects of the ukiyo-e school as well as waterfalls, birds and flowers, dragons, ghosts and monsters, fish, lanterns, it goes on and on in a huge range of subjects.
3: Printmaking isn't unique to Japanese art, but in the Edo period in particular, woodblock prints were a very popular form of art in Japan. First, the artist would create the picture. Then a block cutter would put that picture face down onto the wooden block, secure it there, and very, very carefully cut out the block along the lines of the artwork. A black and white work could use just one block. But for a color work, the block carver would take an impression of that original carving to make a different block for each layer of color.
1: To make the actual prints, printmakers inked the block, lay paper over it, and they rubbed the back to transfer the ink onto the paper. This made printmaking a collaborative, collective form of art. And since Hokusai himself had worked as a block carver, he had perspectives that came from all parts of this process.
3: There was no press involved uh, that a lot of people think of when making prints. With these blocks, printmakers could make lots and lots of copies of the same work of art, which is why you can find copies of The Great Wave and other Edo period prints that came from those original blocks in museums all over the world, rather than just one museum. And it also meant that a lot of people living at the time were able to afford to buy his work and have artwork on their walls. Uh, Hokusai's work was actually at one point even printed on papers for rice snacks, almost like collectible cereal boxes. Like the the snack manufacturer was, was hoping that people would want to buy their snacks more so they could have more Hokusai art from the rappers.
1: I love it. I wish we could get works of art with our snacks. Uh, Commodore Matthew Perry arrived in Japan on July 18th of 1853, just a few years after Hokusai's death. And acting on behalf of the U.S. government, he demanded that Japan open trade to the West. Although Perry's fleet was small, Japan had no navy with which to defend itself, and so it was forced to negotiate. Japan and the United States signed a trading agreement in 1854. Further treaties followed, most of them unequal and benefiting the other trading partners more than Japan.
3: Naturally, this affected Japan as a nation dramatically. For example, the Tokugawa shogunate fell and was replaced by an emperor, but our focus here is really going to stay on the artwork. While Hokusai's work had begun to fall out of imperial favor, this newly opened trade with the West sparked a craze for Japanese art and culture. Fans, kimonos, screens, and porcelain were in huge demand in the West. Diplomats, tourists, and officials who visited Japan also came home with the artwork that they bought while living there. A big part of the MFA's Japanese artwork collection is actually a donation from Dr. William Sturgis Bigelow, who lived in Japan from 1882 to 1889 and then donated the collection of art that he acquired while there to the museum in 1911.
1: For those who didn't acquire their Japanese art and artifacts by visiting Japan, all this enthusiasm for Japanese culture had the unfortunate effect of giving Westerners a rather warped and stereotypical view of Japan.
3: However, woodblock prints and other Japanese art wound up being hugely influential to artists in the West as well, and this this influence became known as Japanism. Felix Brequemond, who was a French impressionist painter, found a set of Hokusai's manga in Paris in 1856. He started sharing Hokusai's work with his artist friends, and soon other impressionist artists were really seeking out and learning from Hokusai's art as well as the other uh, as well as the work of other artists from the ukiyo-e school. Impressionist painters started Im- to imitate the use of color, lines, and perspectives along with Hokusai's often very playful treatment of visual subjects.
1: Claude Monet acquired about 250 Japanese prints, 23 of them by Hokusai, and then, like Hokusai, he made a practice of painting the same thing in many angles and from many settings. You can see this clear Japanese influence, for example, in Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec's Divin Japonais and Vincent Van Gogh's La Cortisane*, and a series of etchings by Mary Cassatt.
3: Yeah, if you if you sort of line up lots of uh, hokusai prints and other work from the ukiyo-e school next to lots of impressionist and post impressionist work, um, it's pretty easy in a lot of cases, even for a layperson who's not like deeply uh, enmeshed in the world of art and art history, to see um, to see the progression from this Japanese art style into uh, Western art. It's pretty fascinating. I love it. I love it. I do too. This, well, and uh, so I did not know how enormous this exhibition was when I went in there. Uh, I thought it was about half the size that it was. And then I came around a corner and there was basically that entire size of what I had just seen doubled again with more stuff. Uh, And a lot of it is really incredible. uh, some of it, you know, there's a whole a whole Japanese artwork section of the museum that you can see at any time, even when this exhibition is not uh, part of it anymore. Um, but I do really like that uh, that this artwork was printed on mass and pro- and popularly consumed, um, and so you know, lots of folks just bought prints as a matter of course, and you have all these prints that are uh, still in pristine condition that date back to the. 1850s and before uh, in museums all over the world I think that's pretty interesting it's fabulous and it, has, it has less of the concern about where that art should rightfully be since the same prints are also available in many museums in Japan uh, I know that's a, a question that comes up sometimes when we're talking about art and, and what is in museums around the world and where it came from yeah Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year queer founded queer run and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear swimwear and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin tomboy x just dropped their pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6x visit tomboyx.com
2: xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love